0: And so we've been looking at like for months now, right, maybe even years, for, for years, like what has Jesus been doing that has been bringing about this good news, this new rule and this new reign? And we've discovered that this good news is essentially the account of what Christ has come to do on our behalf. And and these, these words that Jesus gives, this mention of hell, of course, is immediately tied to this passage that you and I just just read together. It, it is it is a mention of hell. This passage we discover Jesus telling listeners a couple of things that Jesus takes sin very seriously, and Jesus believes in a literal place called hell. And so we've got to reconcile ourselves to what Jesus is saying here that Jesus takes sin very seriously and that there is a literal place called hell. And the gravity that is attached to Jesus' word is in such conflict with the culture that we live in today where maybe hell has been diminished as just some type of outer darkness or maybe it's just a subcategory to make yourself right before you can enter into the kingdom of god it's it's this lighthearted approach that many of us in our culture would give and 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 this belief that there is a such thing as hell in our culture today has become such like this middle-aged um, not you not your middle age, like the actual middle ages. Um, it, it's been like some kind of medieval period where, where that was just the thought then. We're, we're progressive in our ideology thrower. There is no hell anymore. Like the, it's in conflict with the philosophies of this world. And if I can just press, it's in conflict with the philosophies of many religions, including Christianity. Where where the where the mantra now is well well you know what I ascribe to love is love and love wins in the end and in so doing what you're what you're saying with that heresy and that's what it is is that there is no justice of God because how can the justice of God be satisfied in 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 our rebellion in in man's Pathetic attempt to become like God how how is the how is the justice the very character of God going to be satisfied yeah Jesus like he comes in then right and and it's and it's through the work of the cross it is because there is a punishment due to sin is inserting our need for Christ, and then he comes in, absorbs the wrath of God so that we can be what? Saved, rescued. Saved from what? Sin and hell. What you do when you strip the theology of hell out of the biblical perspective is you completely rape what Jesus did on the cross and say it was of no value. And he didn't even have to do it. And just think about that for a minute. Because if we believe that there was historically a man named Jesus, and he came down and in the flesh, fully God, fully man, the hyperstatic union of God is a fancy uh, theological word that we say this is Jesus in the flesh, in full deity. And if we believe this, that then he took on a criminal's cross, that he absorbed the wrath, that he carried the weight of the world, the sins of the world on his shoulders, therefore giving us access straight to God, then what was Jesus doing? He was saving us from the punishment that we are all owed, the punishment of sin and death and hell. So we live in this culture where you know love is win, you know love wins in the end you know if you if you just abide by a set of standards if you just do good then then we'll all go I I've, I've shared this story probably far too many times that I probably should but I, I was at this event at SUU a couple of years ago when we first got here and I was on this panel and it was this you know let's let's dialogue about faith and religion and and so it was myself representing maybe one or two other pastors from the Protestant Um, belief system, and then then there were uh, maybe another pastor, and then there was a couple of other religions, and and every person, aside from me and this one Protestant pastor, every single one of them, at the end of their talk was like, well, you know what we can just all all come together and and, and agree with? That if we could just be better humans, then we will all be together in the end. And I could not help but just, just feel this zeal inside of me and be like, no, that's not how it works. It's not you, do you? It's not you, be a good human being, and 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 please, please, please understand. You you need to be a good human being, All right? No one's advocating for you to be the turd of the community. I don't, I don't, I don't think nobody wants that. In fact, I don't, I don't even know if you know Jesus. If you're known as the turd, okay? All right, and excuse my crassness, but that's the only thing that comes to this twelve-year-old brain at times. But I need you to hear, like Jesus. If Jesus, said, I'm the way. I'm the Jew if you want to see the father you have to go through Jesus Christ and if you can't go through Jesus Christ then, then there is an eternal separation and it's it's called hell let me just give a few thoughts my my goal in this is not to give you like every single thought pattern of hell and give you every what belief system believes about hell I, I'm going to just try to stick with the text and and try to give you just maybe a a very very broad overview of hell we we got to confess that you know any this whole notion of hell and and everything it can be very very confusing but but i want you to hear something the very fact that there is a hell displays to me that there is a god who loves us now i know that sounds crazy i know that sounds utterly like like just the opposite of what we're saying here you know because because the first thing we think of like well well how could a loving god send people you know how could god be you know be so loving and so kind so merciful if you know he sends people to hell i i would i would press you to think on the, the opposite end of that how could a loving god find it within himself to step out of eternity and become like us and take on the penalty of sin that you and I deserve. Like, it should not have been Jesus on the cross. It sh- And I, I know this is not famous preaching. In fact, in fact, this may sound fundamentalist, but I don't care. Like, it should have been you on the cross. Your sin, your shame should have put you on that cross, but it didn't. Hell reveals to us that there is a loving God who would love us enough to step out of eternity and make a way out so we would not have to endure the punishment that we deserve like what a freedom that is for us just to breathe that in here for just a moment that 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 if you stand like just let's just say you're a thief okay like every single one of y'all y'all have stolen stuff your whole life and you finally get caught like what do you deserve what what do you think is going to happen to you what should happen to you don't think uh wh- i'll get i'll get i'll get by i'll I'll, I'll be you know acquitted what, what a silly American thing to believe that that when you commit a crime you should be a you should be acquitted what does the judicial system of our land say you're going to jail and guess what you should go to jail no one should have the ability to bail your thieving self out You committed a crime. This is the way the judicial system should work. And gee, I wonder where they got this way of judicial system. I don't know, maybe from the Bible. When you commit a crime, you deserve to pay the time. Likewise, we've all committed a crime against the holy, righteous God of the universe. And it's with our sin and instead of the judge looking at you if you believe in Christ hear me it's only through Christ when the judge looks at you he will not see you as the thief the murderer because if you hate someone it's the same of murdering you're adulterous you're sexually filled life he will not look at you like that why because if you believe in Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imparted, imputed, blanketed upon you. And he doesn't see your sinful nature, he sees the image of Christ. And without that, there is no hope. There, there is no hope. If you remove the bad news of hell, you gut any significance of the good news of Christ that comes with it. If you remove the bad news of hell, you completely gut any significance of what Christ did on the cross. One other thought that I have on hell, and again, it is it is not my my purpose this morning to address every issues that we have with hell per se or... I just want you to get to thinking in the right way, and maybe we can have that conversation. If you are struggling with the idea of hell, you could please contact us. We'll 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 tell you in person that you're going to hell if you don't need if you don't have Christ. Um, but the the other this and this goes along with my other problem that I have with this, is is how we as evangelical Christians have have used our tone when we talk about hell. <laughs> you know, I grew up in a, it, um, I grew up in church. And I grew up in a very charismatic um, church. And, and, the, and, and this isn't like a slap on all charismatic churches. I'm not saying all of them do this. But this one in particular, it was the idea of, you know, you, you've got to be scared. We're, we're going to scare you. In fact, we'll scare the hell out of you just so you can get to Jesus. And, and so and in, in, in down in the South, they, they do these things called judgment journey. And, and so they would scare the believing, like just the be- Jesus out of everyone. And then they'd be like, now who wants to believe in Jesus? Everybody's got their hands up. I mean, and, and, it's, and it's like these people who are shouting hell, fire, brim, it's like they're proud of it. Listen to me. If you ever hear a person talk about hell and their eyes are dry, and they're dispassionately talking about it. You're listening to the wrong person. Hell is a place that is real. And if you do not know Christ, that is your eternity. And so my fear is that, that, that you know, maybe the, the church has caused a blemish on ourselves by just, by, by just addressing hell and how we've had our tone in regard to it. Like, like, do you not understand that when Jesus saw the unbelief of Jerusalem and, he, and he's s- sitting on a higher part and he, and he begins to weep over them, why is Jesus weeping over Jerusalem? Because their judgment is coming because they do not believe. But when is the last time you've, you've, you've just wept for the unbelief of your neighbor's? You've wept for the unbelief of your community. You've wept for the unbelief. And not just like, you know, showering like hell and fire in their faces. But it actually grieved your heart. That maybe your family member, maybe, maybe your friend at school, maybe, maybe it's your neighborhood. It, it, when was the last time your heart was grieved because... They are not in Christ. Can I just suggest, that should be our approach to hell. Should grieve our hearts. And should cause us to want to do everything. I believe as a pastor, it could have been Spurgeon. You know, Spurgeon said everything. They quoted him for everything. You know, it was like, if, if someone wants to go to hell, then let the cross of Christ be there as a barrier for them. And let everyone in the church be there yanking at their ankles. so that they'd be tripping up over everyone. That should be our approach. Let me get back to the text, and we'll get back to this idea in just a moment. Thinking through the lens of hell, Jesus addresses, and, and, he, and he talks about the seriousness of sin. Now, sin is anything that has violated the will and the way and the law of God, anything that is contrary to what he has said in this word. So, so let's, that's our framework for Sin. And, and, and for the people who, be, who who continue in their sin. So this is our framework. Back to 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to, to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. So this is not a good day. Can we agree with that? Yes. This is not a good day for a person who is causing someone to sin. That's the context. This is a warning for people who are causing other believers to sin. If you think back in verse 41, what was the last thing Jesus said? You got to give these folks um, a glass of water. Whoever gives the glass of water, God will remember them and bless them. So it's this idea that there is not a kind act that you can do as a believer in Christ that, that, that does not go by the way of God, and that God will look at you and remember every single kind act that you have done. Likewise, I want you to see this because it's parallels with each other. Everything that you do that causes someone to sin, likewise, God will not ignore it. Just as God does not ignore all of the kind things you do, God will not ignore the person who causes one of these little ones. Now, remember who is one of these little ones. He says right here, it is a believer in Christ. So so, so, you may be 40, you may be 50, you may be 60, and the way you all look, I don't think there's anyone over 60 in this room. Uh, that's good. Um, I'm just trying to get some change in my pocket with our older folks. Uh, it, I, don't, I don't know, like, I don't know, How old you are. Here's how Jesus just described you. You ready for this? You're a little one. Little ones to him belong, right? They're weak, but he is strong. Jesus views you as a little one. And anyone who comes to you and tries to trip you up and tries to lead you into darkness and tries to lead you into a message that is counter Christ, It would be better for them to tie a millstone around their neck and toss themselves into the sea. And I know that sounds very crazy, doesn't it? It, Jesus is using a lot of hyperbole here. Like, if that is you, Jesus takes sin very seriously. If you are intentionally leading people astray into a life that is counter Christ, it's not good for those people. I think of all the people who are, lead, who are, who are cult leaders, who are, who are preaching a gospel that is counter Christ and is leading people astray, Jesus gives them a very solid and stern warning. Tie something around your neck and get it over with. Stop leading my people astray. If that's not enough, he also gives a warning About causing ourselves to sin, so he's not just like talking like to you know people who are um, causing others to sin. He's talking, you know, he's looking at these disciples and he's and he's looking at them like these men who are going to lead the early church and, and start this movement uh, uh, of the gospel that's spreading out through all the land. And he looks at them too, and he says, "Listen, you you've got to be a, you you've got to be on alert for the warning too for yourself." He gives you a warning. And, and if you think, well, you know, I don't, I'm a preacher, I've been, I've, been a, I've been a believer for a really long time. I don't, I don't need one of these warnings. Listen to me. You are in danger. And he looks at every single one of us and he gives us uh, this, this, this thought that moves on, as you can see from someone causing someone else to stumble. And now it's like you. If you cause yourself, it's like when you it's like if you ever walked in a dark room or walked outside in the the pitch black dark and you and you stub your toe or you you step on a Lego, which is a sign of Satan and his um, and, and his demons. Uh, and and you think about how how in pain you are and 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 it's convincing to me that as I think through that image, this is what we do. We think that we can't cause ourselves to sin. We're walking in a very dark room, and it's the primary reason why we need the preaching of the Word of God to be preached to us every week because because if you're not preaching it to yourself, you have at least got to have it to you preached once a week. It is the primary reason why you need to be reading the Word of God so that it can begin to expose the darkness inside of you and be the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path so that it can expose all of those things that you are wrestling with. And so, and so it's not just about, it's about a warning causing another person to stumble. And so verse 43, it's talking about this fast, loose approach to sin that we have. It's this fast and, and loose approach to sin That we have, every sin, as we found back in chapter 7, I believe in verse 20, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, if you could think back that far, every sin is an inside job. Every sin is an inside job. There to to distract you, there to trip you, there to defile you you from within. And if you remember, um, Jesus begins to, and I believe it's in chapter 7, verse 20, he begins to to list like sins. You know, because these Pharisees are like, well, well I mean, I'm uh, externally, I, I look pretty good. But Jesus begins to list a lot of these internal sins that he knows these people are dealing with. He lists evil thoughts, immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, and so on. And all of those things begin with a thought. And all of those things is an inside job. In fact, the half-brother of Jesus, Pastor James, who is in Jerusalem writing a letter to uh, the Jerusalem church and the church abroad, he reminds us of the same thing. In James 1.14, he says, Each one is tempted when, by his or her own evil desire, they are dragged away and enticed. So every one of us, we have this thing inside of us. It's leading us, and, and, and it's causing us to trip over the things. And the warning is, if you do not kill sin, then ki- sin will kill you. And Jesus is talking about these, these things as a matter of, as you are being confronted with these sins, you better kill it. If your hands are leading you to grab things and, and to touch things and to do things they shouldn't be doing, you, you've got you've to immediately put it to death. If your eyes are causing you to look at things that you should not be looking at, then you immediately have to cut those things out of your life. And if your feet are causing you to go places that you have no business going to, then you immediately cut those things out of your life. Jesus is directly using hyperbolic language. If, if, here's what Jesus is saying in modern day. If your iPhone or, or you use the other thing or your iPad or your laptop, if those things are are causing your eyes to look at things that they should not be looking to. You immediately grab a hammer and smash those things. Well, you don't understand. I use those things, I, I use those things for school. Well, you, you use those things for school, but you also use those things to look at very bad things. Well, well, I use those things for work. You use those things for work, but that ain't the only thing you use those things for. You use those things also. For sin, and in fact, if you say, "Well, that's just too harsh," how would you dare? Like, like this iPhone cost me fourteen million five hundred sixty-eight thousand four hundred thirty-eight dollars and fifteen cents. How dare you tell me to? Well, well, then let's go with Jesus's words and let's go gouge your eye out. You, 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 you kind of need that thing. And 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 I, I could promise you. I don't know from ex- personal experience. But just just by observation, it would be more painful if you, you do the latter. I can, I, and maybe it's because I have sensitive eyeballs. Um, eyeballs, who says that? I have sensitive eyes. And, and, and like I could touch it and just the whole thing becomes inflamed and, and I have to go immediately and like squirt the stuff in it. And so it's like if I barely touch my eye, like I, I don't want to go near that thing. So So what do you do if something is leading you to constantly be in a life of sin? What is Jesus saying here? Immediately get that thing out of your life, because here's the reality. When you become a regenerate believer in Christ, when you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, the sin in your life has been dethroned, but it has not been destroyed so you live in attention to where now there's a new ruler in your life and it wasn't the things that held you bound in the past but mark my words those things will still be there trying to fight its way back to the top of the ladder to dethrone god out of your life and jesus is emphatically warning his disciples notice who he's warning Right? I just said it, his disciples. Isn't that interesting? Notice that when Jesus, uh, and, and I'll say this, when Jesus talks about hell, because Jesus talks about hell a lot, many times that he's talking about hell, he's talking and he is warning the disciples. The ones that maybe some of you would say, well, I'm a disciple of Christ. I don't need this warning. No, you would be the very person that Jesus will come down and sit down and say, hey, let's talk about this for a second. You've got things in your life that you better kill now or they will kill you. What is it in your life? What sin in your life that you are aware of, maybe nobody else is aware of, that you feel the spirit of God in your life right now and you say, you know what, there is a thing in my life I've got to Kill it. What is that? Because right now you've got to hear the word of God in the urgency that Jesus is saying to us in this text kill the sin now. And the one of the most demonic lies that Satan will tell you. You know what it is? Oh, well, you, you know what? You, you could start tomorrow. Because that's what we do. Well, I'm starting my diet tomorrow. You right? Right? How many of you ever said that? Come on, be honest. I'm just, I know the rest of you are liars. I'm st- or maybe you just don't care. Okay, you're like diet. What is that? Ha ha ha! Who does that anymore? We're in America. Like, just think about this. Like. Like, you say, I'll just start tomorrow. So you gorge out everything you can in the moment, and then when you wake up, you feel nasty, and you're just like, I've, you know, I'm going to spend 13 hours on the toilet. And then what do you do that night again? You do the same thing. Well, because I was sick all day, I ain't had nothing to eat, so this tub of ice cream looks really good. And you, and you, you know what I'm going to do? Well, I'll start tomorrow. And so the enemy would want you to say, when you leave out of this room today, and the Spirit of God is exposing those things in your life, the thing that we would want to say to ourselves, the thing that we would want to buy into this lie is, well, I'll just start tomorrow. And tomorrow comes and you didn't start. And then the next tomorrow comes and you didn't start. And before you know it, you have been like James said been enticed and led away into the darkness. That's the warning that Jesus is giving you. He's not saying, won't you start tomorrow? I'll give you a free one today. Go and do all the drugs, have all the sex, do everything that you want to do. And you can start tomorrow. The warning is right now. Start now. Turn your life to Christ now. Now. Submit those things under the rule of Jesus now. C.S. Lewis, in his, his work of mere Christianity, has a wonderful little section, and I'll, I'll stop with this because I believe my time is up, so I'll get to those last two verses next week. He gives us this idea of how God is constructing and and doing a work inside of us. And he says this, imagine yourself living in a house. God comes in to rebuild that house at first, perhaps. You can understand what he's doing, making basic repairs. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts Abominably, and it doesn't make any sense. So so you come to Jesus Christ, you come to trust in Christ, and you know that you were in need of Christ, you know that you were in need of God, and you begin to see the dethroning of your sins, and you see Christ on the throne in your life. And you begin to read the Bible, you see what the Bible says about things, you see that the Bible is calling you out, you see that the Word of God is exposing some things in your life that need to be exposed, and you come to the conclusion and you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm content with just living my life in a tiny little cottage where God does not come in and do all the construction. And so what C.S. Lewis is alluding to and saying here, that's not what Jesus comes to do. Jesus does not come to do a work in you so that you have a comfortable little shack to live in. Because who is the one moving into the shack? Who is the one coming to move into your life? Christ. Why would you then be okay just to have the shack for Jesus to come and live inside of. That's not what Jesus is building in you. Jesus is not building a shack to live in. That's why his words, they resonate to us so much today. Kill the sin. And Jesus comes in and he begins to take the hammer and take the chisel and he begins to deconstruct your life, deconstruct your heart so that he is not living and abiding in a shack, but he comes to live and dwell in a mansion. And he will remove whatever he wants to remove in your life so that he can have the pleasure of living inside of the mansion that he is building inside of you that's what Christ is doing with you that's what Christ is doing with these disciples i didn't come so i can dwell in some some makeshift little tiny house of a shack i mean he was born in a barn i mean he didn't want to live in a barn right he's not coming so he he can you know continue with the times and let you be a barnyard of a life for him to dwell in Jesus takes sin very seriously, and we should too. And so I started this out, and I promise you I'm almost done. I started this out by saying, how did the gospel of Mark begin? It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question is, why is it good news? If there's ever good news, it's because there was bad news. He has been building a case of what this good news of the kingdom looks like. And now we finally get the reality of why it is so good news. And it's good news because it is invading the darkest place. It's called hell. It's good news because it is allowing us a place to go so that we do not have to endure the eternal punishment of hell. That's why the gospel is such good news. It's not good news because it makes us, you know, morally upright, better people. It's good news because Christ Jesus saved you from the reality of death and hell. That's why it's good news. He is redeeming us from something. He is saving us out of something so that we can enjoy the end to something that he has for us. And so that is the bad news. It's good news because hell is the bad news. And then the good news is that for anyone, anyone, that's the invitation, anyone who submits their life to Christ, anyone who sees the sin that they're dealing with and is going to kill anyone who believes, anyone, as Romans 10 says, who just says that he, Jesus, is God and that he raised him from the dead, anyone who says that has been rescued from the depths of hell so that when you come back to the Father, when when you take your last breath, the judge doesn't see you for all the things that you did not do and you should have done. The judge sees you in the image of Christ.